welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, podcaster and herbalist Asia joins us for a conversation all about a critical analysis of contemporary sexism. Together, we talk about love as a conduit of oppression, reclaiming with fourth wave feminism, and how the personal is binary, but the political is queer. It was such a gift to have Asia on the podcast and hear just the breadth of knowledge she has about the levels of oppression that we are all swimming in as people living in this world. I mean, I know with the Modern Anarchy family, there are listeners around the globe that are not from America. And just a reminder, we in America lost our federal right to abortion. You know, I live in a state like Illinois in Chicago, which is very liberal, and so that is not a direct threat to my ability to receive an abortion. And with that privilege, sometimes I forget that this happened. Like, we lost that right, and we can't stop fighting for our rights as women and for all people that have wombs this is not okay. I appreciated so much of what Asia said about this being a conversation about labor as well. I think there's a lot there that we all can learn from. And even if you don't agree with Asia's perspective, that's okay. I'm still sitting with a lot of things Asia said and identifying the parts where maybe I agree or maybe I would have had more pushback now editing this podcast. I think it's so important that we are able to debate one another. That's how we're going to create a space for liberation, opening up to talk to one another, have different opinions, and stay in relationship through that. Just because we have different opinions doesn't mean that we have to end the relationship. And that's so much of what is going on in our culture It's important that we listen to one another, it's important that you challenge one another, and it's important that you disagree. That is good. So if you disagree with today's conversation, all these pieces, good. Keep that fire, keep studying, keep going, keep exploring more. We need more voices from different opinions, all contributing to this conversation about what it means to find liberation and to be in greater connection with one another. That is how we're going to change the paradigm. So I hope all of y'all enjoy this conversation. I hope you feel challenged. I hope you come away with new ideas. I promise you that will happen. I can certainly promise you that. So y'all, tune in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I mean, I I go with the flow. If there was something else on your heart that you're just like, oh my God, I need to talk about this today. Like, I'm also happy to hold that space as well. Okay. 
I wanted to talk about platonic intimacy with you. Oh, yes. I mean, that's my space. I mean, I love talking about that stuff. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> go. I am ready to run with you. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Let's let's talk about all of it then. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. We, will, we will weave as the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, emerges. Yes. But yes. I was like, I told my my wifey for lifey, Karina uh-huh. Desrosas. We have our little podcast, our Petty Herbalist podcast. Uh-huh, I saw, yeah. And we also have the Bad Bitch Book Club. Woo! Okay. Yes. <laughs> and so we're reading Caliban and the Witch. And uh-huh. one, like, I love it. I host two book groups, one online and one in person. Uh-huh. And it's just... I fucking love Caliban the Witch is a hard ass book. Tell me about it. I haven't heard it before. Caliban the Witch as uh was published by Marxist feminist Sylvia Frederici to really explore this concept of uh, primitive accumulation or what things created the prerequisites for a capitalist economy. Mm. But she does that with a feminist lens, understanding sort of the gendered analysis of the the rise and the emergence of capitalism in Western Europe. And so she links that to, of course, the burning of witches and all of the ways that women had to be destroyed for primitive accumulation and capitalism to rise. And so you know, in our, in our book club, which is (laughs) multi-gendered, we got indigenous mamas in our book club. We got black mamas and white mamas, all the people. Yes. That's right. Yes. My book club better be as diverse as I am. But yeah, the kind of concepts that are coming out of book club are fascinating. In particular, the role of female friendships and how they subvert the the traditional sort of methodologies of oppression and extraction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that me and my wife we're platonic but we're committed forever mm, um it's very cute yes, <laughs> yes. very cute we're gonna have a house with many rooms okay. <laughs> yes <laughs> We've just been disrupting and really angry at romance and how raggedy it is and how romance is the place where all of our disintegrated shit shows up. It's like, what the whole fuck? Like, you could be the most upright, righteous, like, loving person, and then you get a boyfriend, or you get a girlfriend, or you get a person. (laughs) Goodbye. And all your shadow. It's like... Why is romance the place that's most open to being programmed by society? And why is that the place where all of our traumas emerge? Like, and so we were like, what if we just ex-nade romance? Because it's kind of trash and everyone's unhappy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everyone's unhappy. And and what if we what if we made friends with people? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, rethinking the paradigm of what romance is. I mean, I am ready to hear how you are subverting this because I'm already <laughs> with you, right? It's such an it's, it is such an interesting thing. And in my inner romantics, like I love love, but also like how can we expand that out to all of our relationships? Why does that have to be specific to one type of partner? And like right. rethinking that paradigm of what is romance in a relationship where maybe you're not having sex with that person, the typical 
combo yeah. of the two and then rethinking that in all of your relationships. And I think, yes. you know, love is what makes things grow, what makes things expand, right? So when we bring that kind of energy into our other relationships, it helps us all grow together. Truly. It's also important to remember one of my favorite texts is called The Velvet Glove. And it looks mm. at the ways in which love is one of the strongest conduits of oppression, right? Yeah. There's a reason why, you know, the researchers actually <laughs> have a scale for level of radicalness, right? And <laughs> I love that. Black people in general are at the top of the scale. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and mm -hmm. Poor people are in the middle. <laughs> mm -hmm. But women are at the very bottom. Okay. <sighs> because of the proximity to our oppressors mm -hmm. there are fathers our sons our children our partners mm -hmm. and that proximity eases extraction and exploitation mm -hmm. and so it's hardest for women to contend with the oppressive factors that are operating in our lives because it's next to us when we go to sleep versus black people have been able to etch out spaces where whiteness doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, poor people are living in poor communities. And so they're seeing the difference between mm -hmm. the haves mm -hmm. and the haves not, but women are entrenched in it. Yeah. And so love, yes, causes expansion, but love is also a conduit of oppression mm. and it really eases Right. It eases those oppressive factors and makes it hard to challenge or interrogate them. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about that proximity work, right, we actually are still embedded in, in oppression in a lot of different ways. And it does take multiple generations of, of movements like feminism to get us to start to critique and analyze that, mm -hmm. that embeddedness. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what our best friends do and what our best friends offer is a super embedded, intertwined, entangled relationship yeah. that is not extractive, mm. right? And so whereas we think of oppression in a sort of a vertical and linear way, right? It's like pushing down on us. If you right. have a best friend, then it's like spreading out <laughs> in the opposite direction yeah. yeah yeah so it's like the pressure coming from above is not going to hurt you as much when you have this horizontal spaciousness yeah yeah, yeah. that makes me think about trees uh thinking about yeah. how they go up vertically right you get all this wind coming through you might break your branches all that sort of stuff but the roots underneath that go so yes. deep and stretch out to maybe other trees and share That's resources right. and have all of that I mean, that's how we get through this. Yes. I'm wanting to hear more about the oppression. I think when I think about this, it's so hard sometimes because it's the water that we swim in, right? We're just yes. little fish, just swimming in this little water and the oppression is the water. And so like yeah. if you could bring some language to Absolutely. what it is we're swimming in. Yeah. And let me name that uh, sometimes these conversations can have a, a cis hetero sort of lens. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to fully acknowledge that uh, the pattern is not the rule, mm. right? But the pattern exists and it's important yes. to pretend, not pretend like it doesn't exist. The pattern is valid. right? So we are talking at the pattern level, right? And at that pattern level, we're reading Caliban and the Witch because of the recent attack on women's rights, the rights of women and our siblings have been, people don't know how significant it is to lose protection for abortion. 
huge. People have no fucking life clue. changing, paradigm changing, absolutely paradigm changing because what happens to children who are not wanted? This is seeding a generation mm. of traumatized mm. people, a generation of children who aren't able to yeah. be protected, a generation of people who will be put into sex mills and the sex industry. There's already thousands of missing indigenous and black women people. Mm. So thinking about the actual ramifications of what happens when children are unwanted or are not able to be cared for, the foster care system is in shambles. We know that we don't have the infrastructure to hold unwanted children you know and so really understanding what happens Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen to these babies Mm -hmm. and so I'm out here in Colorado abortion is constitutionally I think protected by our state so we are going to be a sanctuary state and people women our siblings are going to come here and we need to have our infrastructure to hold all the people and all the women who are going to come here mm-hmm. to, to seek support. Mm-hmm. So we're starting those feminist stages of organizing. Our book club is one third yoga nidra, mm-hmm. one third uh, relational activities, and then one third, quote unquote, the work. Yeah. Because a feminist way of organizing centers that the organizers deserve rest that the organizers deserve play that the organizers deserve to be uplifted because all of our organizers are also going to go home and cook dinner or also going to go home and take care of family are also yeah. going to go home yep. so we can't extract mm-hmm. the givers who right. are the people who are showing up at book right club. right so why are we reading caliban the witch well And this whole conversation of understanding what sexism is, Mm. because I find that, you know, most people can name the leaders of the civil rights movement because black people are real powerful. Most people can't name the leaders of the feminist movement Mm. Mm -hmm. because women get erased. Mm. (laughs) It's the whole thing, right? They get erased and no one appreciates them. And so in one generation, their books, their stories, their language, all of it is gone. Women's studies has become queer theory. No shade to queer theory, but like we need women's studies, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. we we need all the things. We can't colonize women and, and women ideology because it's, I'm thinking about the protests that are happening in Iran right now and all throughout the Middle East. It's like, where is queer theory? What does queer theory have to say about that? And it can't really articulate Mm -hmm. these these deep realities about like what women are globally and how we're experiencing the same thing over and over again. What Caliban and the Witch teaches us from our sweet auntie Sylvia Frederici is that sexism Mm -hmm. is not about the fact that women are cute, the fact that we, you know, it's just like, it's not our outfit. It's not how we feel about ourselves. It's literally the fact that we, we reproduce the labor force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, oh, cute nails. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not what it's about. It's about the fact that we birth and not only do we birth, but our decision to birth or not birth impacts the macro economy right it impacts the amount of people the amount of laborers that are available to be exploited or not 
And so in particular, we'll be looking at like the bubonic plague and some of the things that happened in early European uh, pre-capitalist history. Mm-hmm. And we see the mechanisms that when the population decreased because of natural disaster, plague, right? The church then became a governing factor to force women to reproduce. And not only did it hurt women, but it went after LGBTQ people as well, because our struggles are linked, right? We're both a threat to the patriarchy. And so you see the church coming hard on the queers. You see the church coming hard on women, but so hard on women that they're actually committing femicide. Like there are actually places in Germany where no women existed, right? After like, this is total war on the female body. And forcing that body to reproduce more laborers, because what happened after the bubonic plague was that there were so few workers that they were needed by their employers, right? They were needed by the capitalists, but they were like, well, you can't fire us and we need better health care. We need better pay. We need better clothing. We need better housing. We need health care, right? So these medieval Europeans were like, we need the things and the feudal lords, the same class of people who have been oppressing all of us mm. all the time, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about white supremacy culture, but it's really like a group of wealthy white men. So let's just be real specific that they've been screwing over everybody, including Europeans. A long they're time. Like, they're like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. We need more people so that there's mm-hmm. more competition so that mm-hmm. people need us instead of we need them. Mm-hmm. And so they force these regimes of forced birth. And we see... It's not a coincidence that after COVID-19 and it's again a a laborer's market because people have exited the workplace, you've seen the wages rise, haven't you? Yeah. Right. Because there are less laborers. So what happens? The clapback, forced birth right? Mm-hmm. Other countries have different ways and means of uh, incentivizing women and our siblings to have kids, mm-hmm. right? They're like, we're going to make it safe for you to have kids by offering paid time off and healthcare and free education. Australia's like, have one for you, one for the daddy and one for Australia. And we're going to pay you your same salary. We're going to pay you your same salary for you to have a kid. So one way that countries encourage birth is this beautiful way, making the world a better place so that women and our siblings decide to have kids. Yep. The other way is force. <laughs> and that's the methodology and strategy of our government here in the United States and all over the world. It's like, no, we're not going to make it safe for you to have kids and we're going to force you to do it. Ugh. Oof. So it was important for us to ground down and what sexism is actually about. Sexism is actually specifically about the female body and the control of that body is the control of the labor force is the control of the market and is really the control of the growth or the shrinking of economy. And so we hold so much power in our decision to choose life or not. And I needed us to have a historical analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, Roe versus Wade came to part right after the population bomb. Do y'all remember back in the, it was like in the seventies or eighties or whatever. And there was this concern about overpopulation. Uh, and there was a book called the population bomb, right? Mm-hmm. By Ehrlich or something. We'll have to look that up. But mm-hmm. so the world, everyone was concerned that there were too many people, right? 
So it makes sense that that's when we would <laughs> encourage abortion, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. our abortion rights came out of the same like macro and microeconomic factors yeah. that our abortion uh. rights have been taken away in, right? And what we as women and folks who give birth have to say is that like, fuck all y'all, make the world better and we'll have babies. Yes. Period. Yes. You can't compel us. We don't want, if we choose not to birth, it's actually what's best for the whole world. You know, it's what's best for the whole world. So we need to change the conditions of labor, right? Instead, they're changing the conditions of our ability to choose. Oof. And that's raggedy. And I had to gather my siblings and my peers and my sisters yeah. together because I find that we don't have a critical analysis of sexism. Mm -hmm. We have analyses of gender and sexuality, which are cute, right? Relevant. But the deep analysis, like not understanding that all sexual oppression and that all gender oppression emerges from sexism. Sexism is the grandma yeah y'all are talking to the grandkids y'all are making theory about the grandkids but you can't forget the grandma mm -hmm. you can't forget like what this is about and right. it's a, it's about body and it's about choice and it's about control of those bodies and so mm -hmm. I had to you know as an herbalist as a materialist as a person who grounds everything into biological material reality I had to really share this deep knowledge with mm -hmm. with all of my siblings mm -hmm. because it's it's easy for us to get sidetracked and confused about what this is about. So that's why we're reading Caliban and the Witch so that we can have a great analysis to understand the abortion debate. And we're not like blaming, you know, Christians. We're not blaming protesters. Like it's important for us to know that this is manufactured by capital, mm -hmm. you know, and that people are just being operationalized, you yeah. know. Yeah. It was so clear when you said it too about the other countries where when it comes to the birthing question, you know, providing more resources, making it more possible in the capitalistic game to be able to do that compared to our structure where it's literally forced. I mean, like when you sit with that dichotomy of the world, I mean, it is just glaringly painful to see yeah. the world that we are in. And I think you know, as you're speaking, I'm just like, yes, yes, but what do we do? What do we do? Oh my God, this is out of our control, right? But at the same time, like you're doing what the work is. And I guess we're doing it in the space right now of communicating about it, which is like consciousness raising groups, right? Having yeah. these conversations on a smaller scale so that we all become aware of this. And then yeah. with that knowledge, move through the world differently. So with me, it's, it's consciousness raising is just the first step. Oh, yeah. um, for our organization, we're donating money to mm -hmm. frontline mutual aid groups that yeah. support like pregnant folks, right? Like mm -hmm. that is our, it's like, oh, it's cute that we're learning, but we gonna <laughs> move some money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like we're going to create organization. And then the other thing that's important to me as an herbalist is that we want to have bodily autonomy, but we don't know shit about our bodies. Yeah. So what you know about... <laughs> your pelvic floor though tbh like what you know about your menstruation what you know about menopause like very what little <laughs> exactly so mm -hmm. we want the state to give us bodily autonomy but we don't have autonomy over our own bodies <sighs> so it's not just learning the theory mm. right mm -hmm. it's like what is the practice you need to have every month at moon time yeah. so that you're not depleted for the rest of the month mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. 
female bodily autonomy is female bodily autonomy. I need, I need all of us where, however we identify (laughs) to, to get what this body is about and what Mm -hmm. the gift of this body is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, This mm -hmm. body is a gift to everyone and everything, but there's a special magic that lives inside of it. And, you know, because most folks aren't connected to that grandmothers, you know, and a lot of the works that the feminists really unearthed for us that were erased in one generation. Yeah. The story of second wave and third wave feminism is so interesting to me because it it really tells the story about the generational trauma that women experience. Third wave feminism was actually one biological generation away from second wave feminism. And we can look at the story of Alice Walker yeah. and her daughter, Rebecca Walker. Alice was a amazing second wave womanist feminist. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard for her daughter to, to face that. It was really mm. hard for her daughter to not be centered in Alice's life. And so her daughter really took on that she was going to destroy the legacy of her mother and create third wave feminism. And she really did. Third wave feminism was literally a lot of salty daughters who were mad at their mom. Ooh, Ooh yeah. Say more for the listener who's never heard of this and this like shift here. <laughs> yeah. So some of the like pillars and practices of second wave feminism are really about like undoing the bondage of like motherhood and not like it doesn't have to be centered. Like they were like, no, nah, we're going to go into the workplace. We're going to open this up. We're going to be Rosie the Riveters. We're going to, you know, wear these like shoulder pads and make us look more masculine. Like we're going to go toe to toe with these men. Okay. They said, we going to go toe to toe. This is yes. where we start learning about goddess. This is yes. where we start learning about these second waivers. We're undoing patriarchal tellings of histories. We have some of the most powerful, potent scholarship that really helps us understand this idea of matriarchy and that it existed. They're undoing the embedded sexism and anthropology and sociology. These second waivers were going hard, Mm -hmm. right? They were very radical and they had radical personal practices, which was like, I'm not going to center motherhood and I'm not going to be a mother. And, you know, and their babies were like, I am abandoned, (laughs) Mm. right? Their babies are like feeling salty, feeling sad in their trauma body. Like, Mm. what does it mean to have a mother that doesn't center you? Mm. Yeah. Right. Third wave feminism comes up. Third wave feminism is uh, postmodern. It's, uh, you know, it's all, all ideas are valid. It's contesting reality. Everything is a social construct. It's, it's really detached and it's really honestly a neoliberal feminist politic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Third wave feminism is so in line with capitalism because it makes it about the performance. We have Judith Butler saying that gender is a is a performance. Yeah. Um, we see the detachment of gender from body, which is useful to some of our siblings who need that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not useful to those of us who don't need that mm. um, because it causes us to be ungrounded and it mm. causes us to reinstitutionalize the Cartesian duality between the mind and the body. So then we have trouble, right? There's trouble in the waters. There yeah. are people who ground their identity in their bodies and people who don't. Donna Haraway yeah. asks us to stay with the trouble. 
And so we do. And so we are, we're staying with the trouble, right? For me, sitting with the third wave and the second wave feminists in the book club, it's like, I love all of us, right? Like, so we are though, we are with the trouble. We are with mm-hmm. the the linguistic complexities. We are with the really different ideas about like body and identity and we're still under capitalism, right? Like, and so we still have these unifying factors that can support our coming together, irrespective of what our perspective about gender and sex mm-hmm. and all of these things are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. we are still all sitting under the same pressure, irrespective yes. of how we tell the story. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the same pressure is above all of us. Could you say more too about reinforcing the Cartesian duality of the mind body and the difference with gender there? Like I'm I'm very intrigued. Yeah. So, you know, third wave feminists were really seeking to undo the ways that patriarchy linked our subordination to our body. Mm-hmm. Right? Women are this way because they're female. Women are this way, and because they're this way, then we shouldn't pay them. We shouldn't employ them. They're only suitable for teaching and mothering. So the third waivers were really like, hold mm-mm. They said, there is no such thing as difference between the male and female body. <laughs> they, sa- they said a lot to really detach the body from the identity mm, yeah. because they were using these biological arguments to oppress us and so third waivers were like nah not nah, f the biology you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, nope mm-hmm. nope it's yeah. just an act it's just a performance right and i think their hearts were in the right place i think that each group of activists responds to the condition of the world at its time and so they had to contest biological arguments for our oppression but for me I'm a fourth wave feminist Mm -hmm. so my work is to thank my mother for all of the work that she did understanding that she's imperfect but I also really honor my grandmother Mm -hmm. right I'm my grandmother's child so my work in feminism has been to go back to the second wave Mm. and honor the work that was done there honor the work that my mother has done and then honor the way that the world is different now and the path that I have to take. Mm -hmm. And so my relationship to feminism is also healing the lineage of women in my family, because these are meta conversations, like how feminism played out is exactly how our relationship with our mothers play out. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's one story here, right? And so how do I love all of it? How do I love all of it? The sacrifice of the second wave feminists, they were raggedy, right? They're doing some raggedy shit because they had to be compatible with patriarchy in order to break into it, right? But I'm fourth wave. They already shaped the microbiome. They shaped the soil Mm -hmm. so that it's safe for people like me to show up in my fullness. Yes, right? Like I get to show my fullness because of the work they did. So I get to make as much money as my male peers and have female strategies. Like (laughs) the world has been made significantly better. Yes. By the struggles of the first waivers, the second waivers and the third waivers. And so as the granddaughter who is inheriting these lineages, I can critique them 
And you should. And we should. But I also, I have to reclaim them. Like the way that reclamation of my identity and my female body has shown up is, is in lockstep with the development of my power and my magic. I too was sexist. And that mm. sexism came a lot from feminism who said the goal is for us to be like men and any of this feminine shit is yeah. trash. They yeah. said it's trash. They said working in the house is trash. They said childcare is trash. They said trash, trash, trash. So they didn't mean to, but they really demeaned all of these traditionally female things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my work is to reclaim fiber as technology. My work is to reclaim the kitchen and invite other people into it, like yeah. what Vandana Shiva told us to do, right? No, we do need to go back the to the kitchen, but we bring the men and the children with us. With us, yeah. Right? So it's like reclaiming food, uh, reclaiming cleaning. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so fascinating, like the fact that witches are associated with brooms and my understanding Ooh. of the spread of the bubonic plague was really based on the hygiene of the household. And so Jewish families and Muslim families in Europe, the plague just went around them because they had such great hygiene and they built the hygiene into their culture, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. that broom and cleanliness, we know from COVID-19, like you want to be a virus free, you keep your shit clean, right? But the symbol of the broom right, has been a symbol of female oppression and we don't want to clean, we don't want to cook, we want to hire brown immigrant women to take care of our children, to take care of, a house, you know, so it's like, it's raggedy. But what is it like to reclaim all of those things that they made us feel bad about, to reclaim gossip as a form of radical communication, <sighs> claim getting our nails done as a form of acupressure, Ooh, uh, yeah. reclaim every single thing that they came for us adornment right they make all the women's shit look like it's superficial i'm sorry but pumpkin spice lattes are the exact kind of beverage that we should be having during the winter there's yes. so much vitamin a and pumpkin which supports our immune system mm. and the lungs are supported by pungent spices like cinnamon clove star anise right cardamom yes. so like we should be eating spiced pumpkin drinks right now that yes herbalist sense. yes like, <laughs> women are associated with it it's demeaned yeah especially yeah. when white women like shit it's totally demeaned right yeah. like so just reclaiming is what I feel like fourth wave feminism Ugh. is about reclaiming my power as an herbalist uh, reclaiming yeah. menstruation not as a struggle but as an opportunity to connect with god like right reclaiming with my thighs touching as a way to keep yes. my nice sexual organs warm okay like mm -hmm. we have we we reclaim the body, we reclaim the culture, yeah. um, and we we take everything in, you know? It's like, God, we just put love on everything. I put love on the people who choose to work. Mm -hmm. I put love on the people who choose to work in the home. Yes. You know, we put love on our aunties who make that easier for all families and our uncles, right? <laughs> our safe grandparents. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we, like, how do we reclaim everything? And friendship yeah. for me is like reclaiming female bonds that are not sexual, that are not based in contract, that are, it's like, this is one of the purest forms of love. Like we can love our children, but that's us taking care of our genetic material. Yeah. We can different. love our partner, but that's us taking care of. But when we love our best friend, mm -hmm. 
that's different. That's mm-hmm. pure. Like that's like, what strings are they? There's no strings. Exactly. There's, there's waist beads that we put on each other's tummies to honor our beauty, right? Like that is for me like pure love, but it's a model for cross-cultural solidarity as well. Yeah. So if we could love our best friend then for me, I love Koreans because my best friend's Korean. <laughs> <laughs> and what my love for Koreans looks like is like, I stay, I go to the Korean sauna. I go to the Korean yes. salon. I stay yes. tipping well. Yes. I build relationships. Like yes. those are my sisters, right? Yes. Like, I'm like, Jaja, how you doing, sis? It's yes. been a month since I've seen you. How's your uh, baby? You know, like. Yes community community but the model of friendship is what actually like we could be friends with people who think differently Mm. we could be best friends with them yeah I mean you're again like when you were talking about reclaiming this too I was thinking about like the early first couple the first wave second wave of feminism being completely white feminism right and letting go of the importance of race as a part of this piece I'm thinking about bell hooks and ain't I a woman like this whole piece here of bringing into community and also seeing the differences in all of our experience womanist feminist Mm -hmm. teachings as well like that has Mm -hmm. not been a part of it and so reclaiming all of that to come into community now is so powerful and I want to shout out that white feminism had to be white feminism yeah to get it through at the beginning it did yeah right there's a pattern yeah there's a pattern that like power talks to power yeah yep, yep, and yep. so you needed to have the white feminists to open up the institutions that were held by the white men to the brown people and they sure. did that work yep. yep and they get shit on because they did that work yeah because I it was wanna, imperfect because it was imperfect yeah there are parts of intersectional feminism that i really i don't like intersectionality mm, yeah say more intersectionality is really useful shout out to the lawyer who created it as a legal construct in order to name the kind of oppression that black women were experiencing the duality of race and gender Mm -hmm. but intersectionality has been extrapolated to sort of privilege and celebrate people with the most intersections Mm. and not only that but the struggle with black feminism and i'm a black woman feminist Mm -hmm. so i can name it The struggle with Black feminism, of course, is that like when you have to contend with race, class, and gender, shout out to Angela Davis, when you have to contend with all of those, you're not able to go as deep in any one of them. Mm. You're stuck in this middle place and you're not able, and and that middle place is power, okay? That, That is an analysis in and of itself. And Black feminists haven't been able to go as deep in African feminisms, or maybe they're not able to go as deep in Marxism, or maybe they're yeah. not able to go as deep in racism. And so we actually need all the different identities, those that are intersected and those that are, are all identities are intersected, but those that are not in order to actually expand the spectrum of the information. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I need black men who aren't feminist to be going hard on Marxism. You know, the Black people have one of the most beautiful Marxist critique. We think of the Black power movement as a Black Marxist movement. Yes, yes. And that's why they came for us, because that shit was powerful. Absolutely. And these men were raggedy. They were raggedy. Yes, it's very and they, true. And they had to be taken down. But their analysis, though, okay, we don't erase the analysis just because the human is raggedy, right? 
as we move forward and I'm fourth wave, then I take Mm -hmm. Huey Newton's analysis and I'm taking Malcolm X. I'm nodding at the way that they were sexist, but I'm also nodding at their genius and I'm able to take their analysis and I'm able to take, you know, Clarissa Pinkola Estes' analysis Mm -hmm. and Women Who Runs With the Wolves and I'm able to take these things. But when everything is intersectional, then the spectrum is too narrow it's not broad enough it's not broad enough it's not deep enough it's too surface too surface so there are I hear you beauty and complexity and I feel like my job is to like nod to all the ancestors who created this world for Mm -hmm. me to Mm -hmm. be able to even I have time to analyze it Yes, 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 100%. We step on the shoulders of giants, right? That's, that's the saying. And with that of like, we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like there's a lot of bathwater that needs to be maybe tossed, but the baby is still (laughs) there. The baby is there. And just like, if we can recognize the imperfection of these waves of feminism and these waves of Marxism and these waves of movement, then we can also we can also love our parents mm. and our mm-hmm. grandparents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can also like love the fact that like they were imperfect. We can love them for everything that they were and everything that they were not. Right. And we can love ourselves too mm-hmm. for my blind spots. Mm-hmm. Right. Like in what ways are my philosophies causing harm to people with different bodies and experiences? Like, can I love myself and still be harmful? Right. So it's like these worlds are really complex. And what's fascinating is that when I sit with the bodies in a room, Mm -hmm. none of these ideas actually matter. Say more. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. So feminists said personal is the political. For me, the political is binary and the personal is queer. Ooh. ooh, Say more. (laughs) Yes. So like we, so we have to take on these binary positions in order to, advocate for ourselves so in order for black people to receive resources we have to say there's a thing called black and that there's a thing called white that is that is its opposite (laughs) i love our transgender movement it's very fascinating because it's like break down the binary but they had to create cis gender in order to create transgender in order to advocate for themselves yeah so at the level of political we're always creating binaries Mm -hmm. right othering we're always othering. It's it's the way we do politics. Yeah. It's fascinating. Even yeah. queer has to create not queer. But mm-hmm. we know that everything is queer, you know? Yep, spectrum. There's a spectrum. So, but we create binaries at the level of the politic in order to get the resources that we need for our beloved communities. But when we are in person with each other, when mm-hmm. we are face to face, anything is possible. And we really cause harm to each other when we take these political, ideological circumstance, like conversation and apply it to actual people that we're interfacing with. Like what? I am not going to treat a conservative bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. We may not talk about politics. We may. And like, we're going to talk about food. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about all the other things because like people aren't a politic. And that's where, uh uh-uh. Uh uh-uh. The personal is not the political. At the level of personal, if you want to actually be happy and build relationships, you have to recognize that like these archetypes, you know, race, gender, all of these are just archetypes. These archetypes don't fucking apply. There's no one who actually 
is their assigned gender. I've never met a woman who, you know, <laughs> is makeup, is a mother, you know, all the stereotypes that we're like mm-hmm. going against. I've never met an actual woman who was like that mm-hmm. because we're all complex and all possibilities are there, right? It's like everything is possible. So me as a black woman, as a fat mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. woman, Mark says, yes. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, 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 shit, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Showing up in a room with all white men, I don't fucking care that they're white. I get my way. I get my way. I get my fucking way. Like, I always get my fucking way because I don't perform the script, right? I don't perform like they're my oppressor. I don't perform like they're different from me. I don't perform like I'm oppressed. I don't perform like, no, it's queer. Anything is possible whenever I enter a room applying the political to the personal actually reinforces oppression reinforces and disentangles relationship yeah reinforces like a lot of harm so for me the personal is queer every new person is an opportunity every Mm. new person is unknowable powerful and and love looks like getting to know them so that's my world like that's my world when we talk about like liberation it's like (laughs) a that story is just a story and we use that story for political reasons to get stuff and things Mm -hmm. but if you apply that story to your person then it can cause harm now what's fascinating though is we talk about feminism and we talk Mm -hmm. about women and their oppression and so there's complexity there because we don't notice the ways in which that story operates in our personal relationships uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You see, women and sexism is deeply personal, where racism and classism is between larger groups. But sexism mm-hmm. is really an interpersonal kind of mm-hmm. experience. It's interpersonal, mm-hmm. political, but the harm is really centered in the personal. Um, yes. And I know these analyses are so like nuanced and I don't want to like have folks feeling like they, you know, I don't want it to be inaccessible. I know that these are like, you know, grad school level conversations. And I apologize for the inaccessibility there. No, no apologies Um, here. (laughs) No, this is what we need. People will get it when it gets, you know, when they hear it, they'll be there. And it's like, yes. So sexism is fascinating because sexism is actually centered in the home. Mm. You know, the tools that we have to really unpin uh, sexism in the home is negotiation. Yeah, is communication, right? Is setting the terms. One of my favorite sisters, shout out to Janice Mason. Mm -hmm. The way she negotiated that she would have three months without the kids, three months with her husband, (laughs) three months, uh, you know, with her and having the kids in another country. Like she, uh, she was a mistress. Yes, (laughs) yes. Okay, I was Mm -hmm. like. "Mm Mm -hmm. So it's like, what are the skills that we need to, you know, radically unpend the personal forms of sexism? Well, we, we need to be able to debate, right? We got to talk about it. It's some throat chakra shit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, open up, open up. And so I hope that like the critical spaces that I create are spaces where people feel liberated Mm -hmm. and those processes of debate and negotiation that they're going to need with their parents that they're going to need with their kids that they're going to need with their partners and then social movement you know is also what we need for all of them and social movement 
is just the coagulation of relationship. It's just relationships that just, you know. Oh, it's everything. Relational feminist psychology. Like it is the complete core of our existence, the complete core of how we see ourselves in the world and how we move about. I mean, Hmm. this is why I was going to ask you and was wanting to see your opinion on cancel culture, right? I think this would go directly against everything that you've been saying. And it's like so difficult in that way of like holding people accountable, but also pulling people into community. And you kind of spoke on that earlier of like Mm. being kind to people that have opposite viewpoints and that's never a point to cast them out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So cancel culture emerges in the left when the left is becoming more totalitarian. So let me just name that something has happened in the last 10 years to the political left and that it has become wildly intolerant of difference. And what's beautiful for us to remember is that the left and the right are the same. The left and the right are the same and it's a circle. So when you get into the deep left, you actually get into the right, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? The right people on the right. These are our family. This is our siblings. We're all in one fucking country. We are all one people, one spectrum. And the left has become more totalitarian. It has become more intolerant. It has become really segmented. And so we see things like you're not a feminist if uh, you don't believe in this, 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 this. Yep, yep, yep. And then people are like, oh, I don't agree with this part. So I guess I can't be a feminist anymore. Right. And so it's like you have to take on all of these positions. And that's some intersectionality shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of coalition, which is what I believe in. Mm-hmm. Like I have a I, I, I kick it with the Marxists and then we come together as Marxists and we support the immigrant rights movement. Right. Mm-hmm. Or we come together as black people and we support this movement. Coalitional politics allows for diversity, but trying to make everything one thing is raggedy. And then you have to cut people out who don't and, agree with every they don't yeah. take every box. So mm-hmm. I want to name that the left has become a lot less tolerant in a short amount of time. And I want to name that canceling is what happens when folks don't agree. So let's talk about Kanye West. Ooh. Shout out to my girl, Tammy Cho, um, because the way she went hard for Kanye and how we love to project all of our ills on Kanye and we love to see Kanye fail and we, Right. Mm. Kanye wore a shirt that said <laughs> white lives matters <laughs> not white lives matters Kanye <laughs> and fire everyone was like cancel 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 but Kanye had a critique Kanye said that black lives matters was a scam ooh we had a critique. We had a critique. And I mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. so Kanye West is a trickster character. And in every culture, every single culture around the world, we have our clowns, we have our jesters, mm-hmm. we have our hyokia, we have our fucking eschews, we have, we yeah. all have our trickster characters. And archetypes. Yes. This is archetypical. Mm-hmm. Kanye is an archetype and we need the trickster because the trickster is meant to poke us and make fun of the things that have become too solid. Okay. 
So when we understand that Kanye is a trickster archetype, right? He had to say what he had to say yeah. because we we internalize Black Lives Matters without contesting it. I have always seen and not like the Black Lives Matter movement as someone who studied the Black Power movement. I compared the Black Power 10-point plan to the Black Lives Matter 10-point plan. And I said, oh, these Black Lives Matter folks don't really have a critique of capital. Like they don't really, uh... oh, like it was so superficial with the black power movement was asking for it was material it was like we need land we need radio stations we need it was so it was actually deep but what has happened with this sort of postmodern and performative movements is that like black lives matter then just becomes an advertising campaign right the question is has the material conditions of Black people changed since the Black Lives Matters movement? Yeah. Or was it just an advertising campaign? Mm. What are real politics as a Marxist, feminist? And y'all conflate Marxism with communism. Stop doing that. That's raggedy. Yeah, do you want to speak to that? (laughs) <laughs> no yeah you're like no and someone else right, like, can take that lesson <laughs> listen, sit, listen to cornell west and bernie sanders and learn about democratic socialism okay yeah, 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 yeah. uh sit with sit with our sit with our uncle west i love uncle west he let him teach you but so as a materialist again i tell you i base everything in a biological reality are black people further away from polluting industries the <laughs> mm. people in flint michigan have water that they win those legal battles right how has the stress levels of black people decreased over time i'm looking at the biological indicators yeah. of liberation i'm looking at are black people more paid or less paid right do black people own more houses or less houses mm-hmm. when i'm thinking about social movements I appreciate when the winds aren't necessarily tactile. I was a part of the Occupy Wall Street. I was at NYU at the time studying my thing. Hell yes. Sitting at Aaron Dottie Roy's feet. Okay. (laughs) Um, And I was, I was mad at Occupy because I was like, ah, they were doing the intersectional thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. Ask for something and get it. Yeah. They were like, everybody has problems so let's talk and then it was so dispersed Mm. and I was like oh come on y'all like you gotta ask for a thing politics is binary ask for what we want so that we can negotiate so that we can get we can get a win but it was fascinating because after Occupy Wall Street what it did was it built relationships Mm. and there was a hurricane in New York I forgot what it was called there was flooding and all this stuff. And what was fascinating was that previous Occupy Wall Streeters had organized specific communities and those communities, they were able to advocate for resources to communities who wouldn't normally get resources because Occupy built mycelium. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It did. And that connection really paid off when that hurricane came through those poorer communities who had Occupy protesters were able to get resources. And I was like, okay there's complexity here. Like we can learn, like there are things to be learned here, like shout out to that. Yes. So when I think about Black Lives Matters and I'm thinking about, okay, they didn't advocate for specific things, but we have to be more 
complex in our analysis to get more complex social movements in a more complex mm-hmm. time in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's look at some of the wins. Like, let's look at Joe Biden uh, canceling $20,000 of student debt, right? Let's look at some of, there was, there's a lot to be harvested by the Black Lives Matters movement. And there is a critique that it was an advertising campaign. Yeah. And it's true. Kanye had as the trickster character, he had to poke. poke because when we accept things unconditionally, because it's popular, because everybody else is saying it, because we quote unquote should without actually interrogating mm-hmm. how we actually mm-hmm. feel, then that mm-hmm. makes us stupider. Yeah, I know stupider. Sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be woke if you just eat everything that activists talk about. No, you got to interrogate it. Yeah. It has to be a conversation. You can't interrogate it on Instagram. You can't interrogate a meme. You can't interrogate, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. we have to be interrogating. Deeper. Yeah. Or we placidly mm-hmm. accept, we talk shit about conservatives, but then we placidly accept all of this raggedy stuff that's coming from the left as well. That's not actually interrogated. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you, Yeezy. Okay. I know he's struggling with his mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tricksters often do. Yeah. Right. Shout out to all of our trans siblings, right? Thinking about the relationship between tricksters and gender dynamics. Many tricksters were gender fluid, right? Many tricksters were like having to poke at when gender became too solid. So the tricksters came through to make fun of, right? When things become too rigid, that's when our tricksters show up. Mm -hmm. So Kanye as a trickster. I see my trans siblings, my genderqueer siblings as trickster often, right? I see there are so many of us holding that trickster energy because the left has become too uncontestable. Yeah. The right is too uncontestable. So we need our tricksters to break down and to make Mm -hmm. things funny, to make us think and Mm -hmm. to make us mad. Yes. That keeps us healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is how we imagine a new future, right? To like keep moving. We have to have this critical dialogue to know where we've been, kind of yeah. like our whole conversation was talking about. Yeah. What we want to keep from that. And then how do we imagine the future of where we're going to take that to create a new world, to create a new paradigm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But we can't forget to look back. Yes, exactly. So postmodernism has us like it's like no there's no such thing as postmodern it's not post we're living it like what mm-hmm. do you what is this fake construction of time that we're living under like that like are you kidding me <laughs> like it's just it's so weird to live right now it's so weird yeah i'm post what as i live right here right what? it's like there's no post this is all the modern era. Mm-hmm. We're not past modern. Mm, modern anarchy. <laughs> listen, listen, we're in it right now. Like, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. we we gotta we gotta we gotta go back. We gotta go back, and it going back will challenge us, mm-hmm. right? So when you know, I think about all the different gender identities that I've worn throughout the years, and. Uh, when my gender identity was primarily they, them, Mm -hmm. I couldn't be interested in the feminisms of the past because they were binary. Yeah. And they didn't have any space. Right. Yeah. But that meant that I was cut off the teachings. Right. And then 
I was I was they she and then I was she they right mm -hmm. and the more uh she that I got the more I felt safe to go back in the past and to collect mm -hmm. to collect the knowledge the wisdom of the female ancestors right so thinking oh. about how the way that we identify ourselves impacts our willingness to go back mm -hmm. you know I think about my white feminist siblings and white people in general who refuse to go back because they don't want to find the enslaver in the closet. Yes. And so there's there. this like movement towards modernity only movement towards what they think is progress because mm -hmm. there's shame from the shadow shadow when they go back and same for African-Americans like who don't want to go back to the plantation. But mm. as Donna Haraway, <laughs> my sweet auntie Dara, Donna and other black feminist scholars, like, we got to go back to the plantation I've seen. We got to go back to the plantation. Octavia took us back to the plantation with, uh, her, with Kindred and really gave me the courage to go back to the plantation and to discover that like, wow, there's so much medicine here. Wow. There's so much magic here. Wow. Like enslaved people had a favorite flower. Mm. They had a time of day that they enjoyed they had crushes they had right like I went back to the plantation and I made my ancestors whole I made them fully fleshed I unflattened them and made yeah, them there it is. 3d and then they said thank you for seeing us sis. let us help guide you as you move forward since you mm. accept us now mm -hmm. so as a as a black person I had to go back to the yes. hard part Yes. Right. I had to go back to the plantation. I had to get back on the slave ship. And now I'm at the shores of Africa. Like now I'm in Ghana again. Mm. Now I'm situated with the Dagara and talking to Paladoma Somme and or Maladoma Somme and Sabanfu Somme and learning about like what I was 500 years wow. ago. So powerful. Right? And so we do have to go back and these new politics that like have us think that being queer is new it's not not even close no. not even close nope. right yeah but it it's like we're only concerned about what our peers are talking about but our peers are our age so they have our same biases so we gotta talk to grandma mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. we gotta heal you know the intergenerational trauma but we think that we can do that with the psychologist on our own healing intergenerational trauma means you got to talk to people of different generations yes community is medicine community. yeah it's not all this shit you got to do the work are you kidding me do you know how i heal my ancestors i literally deliver medicine to my aunties and to my mother and to my elders it's not all through me. That's some individualist bullshit. Okay? Yeah, which is some Western shit right there. It's some Western ass shit. It is. <laughs> so yeah. feminist psychologist, which means that you're contesting and you understand that psychology has a white male bias. Oh my God. It is thick. It is thick. <laughs> Sorry, but like, whoa. Yeah. 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 So they're yeah. like, oh, the Western mind. No, this is the white male mind. I find that it's the females of each group that hold indigeneity because our rituals happen through our body in such a blatant way. So once you drop your blood, that's a fucking initiation that cannot be undone. And yeah. it makes you immediately to your indigenous roots. 
the men, their initiations have to be externalized, right? Mm. Like, because their their changes are more subtle. They have andropause, mm. but it's far more subtle than menopause, which is mm. so definite. Mm. And so that's why male societies indigenously have created their external rites of passage, which look like them starving and struggling and uh, all this suffering because bitches suffer every month. <laughs> every 28 days. Every, every 28, 28 days, I go through this same thing again <laughs> it's a blood sacrifice right Ooh. that's what we give to the earth every month we give our blood and so the males they have to do their external suffer because of the way colonization worked the, the female rights were erased and the male rights became the standard for indigenous rights so then we have our indigenous siblings like female siblings doing sweat lodge when sweat lodge was designed for males to suffer <sighs> we had moon lodge we had our own things and we're not supposed to suffer because we suffer every month. Anyways, that's like super off track. But the the All idea is that like we we do have to go back and get it, right? We have to go back and get it. Hashtag Sankofa. Like mm. we really, we really do. And then we have to integrate all of it and not make it wrong. Mm -hmm. Love all of it. Mm. You have to like love all of it. It's so hard to do. Yes, absolutely. And that's incorporating the shadow sides of ourselves and the history, right? To yes. learn to love both the light and the dark. Yeah, we have to. Mm -hmm. We have to love our moms. Mm -hmm. Feminism is about how we feel about our moms. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. How do you treat your mother, period? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the women in your life. Yeah, the women in your life. Like for me, when we take it back to the earth, racism is like how you treat black people <laughs> it's like decolonization is like when your indigenous auntie tells you to go protest at suncor like do you do what she says and it's like yes auntie i will i will go yes shannon i will go i will support mm, like yeah. it's all about relationship it's 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 like if you can think of like i i really thought about what it meant to be in solidarity with people of other cultures mm. And it looks like relationship. And that also includes money. Like me and my wife, we both have Patreons, right? Mm -hmm. One for the podcast and then one for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I always give her money for my Patreon anyways. So it's like, yeah, like that love also includes sharing money. Resources. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. We're in relationship and, oh, you need some gas. I remember one of my siblings was like, I only have $3 in my bank account. You know how quick I was with the cash app? She didn't even have to say nothing. I said, bitch, nah, not you. You're not going to have $3 and you're talking to me on the phone right now. Like, yeah. I'm not balling, but I got more than $3 to so share. Let me give you, let me, let me make sure that your cash app is cash apps. Like, mm -hmm. you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, yes. we have to share money too, because money is just an external form of love right? Mm -hmm. Money is just lo love externalized. Fire Power. wage workers broke because their bosses don't love them. Mm -hmm. They don't see the humanity in their experience and the love that is needed to survive in this capitalistic world. Yeah. You got to love people. Yeah. In Colorado, we're, 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 um, we have a model of universal basic income. It's not universal, unfortunately, but it is basic income and it's no strings attached. And basic income is what love looks like in public. 
basic income is a feminist issue because mm-hmm. maybe bitches don't want to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe they actually want to be moms. Like mm. maybe they actually want to be dads. Maybe they actually want to be parents. Yeah. Like this basic income will allow us to pay people who decide to stay home. It will change the whole paradigm because feminism is about labor, literally birth as labor, but feminine, like the depth of sexism. This is a conversation about labor y'all like, labor it's not about how we look or how we feel yes y'all get on my nerves with all that it's about it's about labor who's doing the labor like are the feminized bodies performing the labor are the femmes performing the labor yes they are because that's what we do but uh i see that we are a little bit over (laughs) (laughs) i mean this has been so powerful yes so i did not want to stop any of this because i was just like yes yes bring it bring it it's so good oh oh thank you so much for this opportunity absolutely on a a saturday morning isn't it oh i love this is like literally my favorite thing like let's just talk about how we build a different world and how we take all of this i mean this kind of conversation gives me life and i think it's so neat when you were talking about community and like what i at least have created on this podcast to like get to speak to someone like you through like threads of people I would have never you know otherwise connected with someone like you it's like such a powerful thing that I'm so thankful for you coming on here and sharing all of your wisdom and speaking to us today it was it was so great yeah thank you I really appreciate the opportunity yes I studied feminist psychologists and relational theory oh hell yeah yeah that they helped me understand like oh uh Feminism and indigeneity are similar because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I got to compare and contrast like relational cultural theory from yes. feminist psychologists. So I'm so happy that you That's are literally... taking on yeah. that work, that lineage. It's a beautiful lineage and yeah. it's, it's everything. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's a wild mind trip for me. Every time I sit in the therapy room, I'm just like, okay, you know, so I'm in it. I'm in it deep. So, but it's nice wow. to know that you understand that and can like see that in me. I it feels it. good. Yeah. I really do. Well, if you feel like there's nothing else on your heart that you really want to get out in this space, I have a closing question I do ask everyone on the podcast. Yeah, go go okay, on ahead. Okay, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so the closing question I ask everyone is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? It's really normal to have a political position mm. and struggle when you find out that you were wrong. Oof. It's normal to to backtrack, Mm. even when you've dedicated your whole thing, you know, it's, it's okay when it's like, oh, I fucked up. I think about how my positionality on immigration, how it used to be and how it was shaped by trauma. I extrapolated my trauma to include all immigrants and it was terrible, right? Mm. And I had to walk it back and I had to do reparations. And so I uh, I studied Spanish in college, even though I got C's and it was the only C's on my yeah. thing. And I like refused to not get, like I took a hit because yeah. I was like, nah, I'm going to learn this language and I'm going to mm. live in Latin America, you know, and I'm going to honor these people that I disparaged because of my ignorance. And I lived in Bolivia 
that built my whole critique of, mm. of cap like Bolivians taught me so much they saved my life it's where I began knowing that herbs work because I was passing oh. out and the cholitas threw me a bag of coca leaves and I was like okay like indigenous sis taking care of me what's up like yeah but the way that I owe so much of my radicalism to Latin Americans when I started off with the problem uh I've had to overcome some of my deep biases my xenophobia my sexism my internalized racism I've had to overcome a lot of the isms that lived inside of me and mm -hmm. I just want to normalize that process it's 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 okay that we were wrong and we do our repair and we get into relationship mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah those that doesn't define you that time where we had those thoughts and to be where we're at now and be able to look back at them like you are not defined by those experiences we're defined by how we continue to move forward from those experiences and how we treat people Mm hmm. It's like we're defined by how we treat people. How we love. Yeah. Love the relationships that we build, you know, that's 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 who we are is what our relationships are like, uh, is who we are. And exactly. Yes. Give me that relational cultural theory. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. You yes. Know. <laughs> no, I'm I so happy know. that you know. Like, hard crazy but relational cultural theory brings you into indigeneity and that's how I learned that feminism and indigeneity feminism was how we hold indigeneity and yeah. what a gift that we're able to chat about this and share this with the world like that is so powerful yes yes <laughs> ah, this was so good thank you for bringing my spirit joy and for picking me up thank you thank yes, you Nicole, we yes. appreciate you so yes. much and all that you do for us <laughs> thank you <laughs> is there anywhere you want to plug the people who are connecting to you your podcast all of the beautiful yeah. things that you're doing like shout it out put it out okay shout out to to my wife Karina and the Petty Herbalist podcast. We're on all the things. I have a Patreon, uh, Bones, Bugs, and Botany. We have a Patreon, Petty Herbalist. Follow me on Instagram. Like, come to book club, Bad Bitch Book Club. <laughs> and, you know, shout out to all of the folks uh, here in, in Denver and Aurora who, who uplift my life right now. Mm, so, um, but yeah, you can find me on the grams. <laughs> you can find my writings and yeah, give us, give us some love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lovely, lovely. I'll have it all in the show notes below so people can just like click right away and connect with you. Oh, thank you. Of course. Oh, this is so good. So good. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. <laughs>